Welcome to Deckert's Committed Capital. This is an episode of Sidecar, a special bite-sized discussion of the latest market issues. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Committed Capital Sidecar, Deckert's ad hoc bite-sized podcast covering quick updates and developments that will affect private equity. I'm Craig Falls. I'm an antitrust partner at Deckard in Washington, D.C. I work on merger clearance matters and exclusionary conduct litigation, and I'm joined here today by Jim Fishkin. Jim, why don't you introduce yourself? Hello, I'm an antitrust partner in Washington, D.C. I'm a former FTC attorney who focuses on obtaining clearances for mergers from the FTC and DOJ. So a topic Jim and I have for you today is that we'll be discussing the U.S. Federal Trade Commission's October announcement that it will require prior approvals for future deals as a condition for any divestiture agreement and that it may require prior approvals um, even if the parties walk away from a deal. As you can imagine, this policy announcement has important implications for companies as they analyze the risks of deal activity because these prior approvals not only present risks for the instant deal, but also for their future deal making. Uh, And if you are a company that has a roll-up or platform strategy uh, in which you intend to make many future deals in the same industry, this, of course, has a a major impact on that strategy. So Jim and I will be discussing uh, how exactly this new announcement um, does and doesn't impact the risks that you face when you're looking at a future deal and also a little bit about how it might impact terms and purchase agreements. So let's dive in, Jim. Uh, What exactly did the FTC announce in October? How do these prior approval requirements actually work? Craig, first, it is important to note the difference between prior approval and prior notice. For about a 25-year period, the FTC required companies subject to consent agreements to provide prior notice for any additional acquisition in each relevant market for which a violation was alleged. And this requirement was in effect for the 10-year length of the consent agreement. So for large transactions that were HSR reportable, the HSR filing satisfied the prior notice requirement. For small transactions that did not require an HSR filing, the parties subject to the consent agreement had to submit the equivalent of an HSR filing to the FTC. If the FTC did not open an investigation after the 30-day waiting period, the parties were free to close their transaction. Fast forward to October 25th, 2021, a highly divided FTC issued its new statement on the use of prior approval provisions in merger orders. Under the new policy, the FTC is now requiring prior approval where previously required prior notice. This one-word change in the consent agreement is really quite significant. Prior approval, as opposed to prior notice, the old policy, means that a buyer subject to an FTC consent agreement cannot acquire any additional company in at least every relevant market and maybe broader areas for a minimum of 10 years without receiving prior approval from the FTC. Unlike the 30-day waiting period for prior notice, first, there's no deadline on when the FTC must decide whether to grant or deny approval. Second, another significant change there is that with prior approval, 
the parties have the burden to demonstrate to the FTC that the proposed transaction is not anti-competitive. But the FTC effectively has veto power. They can just not approve the transaction or just say no. And there's not a lot of criteria around what they need to do to have that effect. Finally, the FTC is also requiring divestiture buyers to agree to prior approval before they can resell the divestiture assets that they acquired to another party. And it's for the same 10-year period, which is quite significant for parties looking to make acquisitions, knowing that, hey, down the line, they may not be able to sell them for quite a while. So that's in a nutshell how it works. Craig, perhaps you can describe when the FTC will require prior approvals. So under this new announcement in October, the first thing that the FTC said was that they're going to require prior approvals whenever they agree to accept a divestiture uh, in order to settle uh, a challenge. So in those many cases where um, the parties have a deal in which you know they overlap in some space, but not in, in all of their product lines, uh, and where they're willing to go to the FTC and agree to divestiture to, to get the deal done, the new cost of that is not just going to be that your deal is lessened in value by the lost divested asset, but also that you are now subject to a, a prior approval requirement for your future deals uh, in the scope of the requirement. Uh, and so there's an impact on parties uh, when they're looking at any kind of deal that has a divestiture risk, that the, the cost of getting that deal done is no longer just the divestiture, but also the prior approval requirement. Separately, if the parties um, are expecting a challenge that the FTC might just challenge the deal and they have an obligation to litigate, uh, in defense of the deal, well, you can expect the FTC will not only seek an injunction to block the deal, but they'll also seek a prior approval requirement, at the very least, preventing you from coming back and proposing the same deal again, but more likely broader than that, um, requiring you to obtain prior approvals in all your future deals in the same industry uh, at issue in the case that was blocked. Um, and as Jim mentioned, that you know, that has a major impact because the FTC can just say, no, you, you don't actually get to, to defend your future deals in court if you're subject to a prior approval requirement. And then finally, the FTC announced that they can, um, and they can and they will, seek prior approvals when parties walk away from transactions. So you know, when the FTC announces they're going to challenge the transaction, it's very common that parties walk away because they don't have the time or the financing to, to fight the thing through to a court decision. And what the FTC will do in those cases, as announced, is that they will, even though the parties walked away and the, and the injunction is moot, the FTC will still proceed to court and ask the court to impose a prior approval requirement on the parties for future deals. Uh, and the FTC in particular said that they're more likely to do that when the parties use the FTC's resources uh, by complying with the second request and forcing the FTC to make a decision. They offered that they'd be less likely to seek a prior approval requirement if the parties abandoned the transaction much earlier before the FTC's already expended all of its resources on investigation. Um, but you can imagine how this is going to impact parties where purchase agreements often require parties to comply fully with the second request and uh, now not just fully but promptly and now by adhering to those covenants uh, parties are going to be putting themselves at risk of uh, being subjected to prior approvals in addition to not having their deal 
because they walk away from it. So this potential impact is, is rather drastic, but it all really comes down, Jim, um, to the really the scope. If the scope of the prior approval requirement is really to just the the narrow product lines or, or geographic area in which you've already divested an asset or agreed to divest an asset, you know, it's, it doesn't really have much of a practical impact because you weren't going to likely bring a deal in an area where you are, you just, we're just subject to a divestiture in the last deal. But if it's broader than that, it could have an impact. So, um, and pretty substantial impact. So, so Jim, can you address how broad these prior approval requirements are in scope? Sure, Craig, and this is a good point. The FTC has stated that the scope of the prior approval may extend more broadly to areas that were not impacted by the proposed transaction in the relevant markets in the complaint. And so that policy may have a deeper impact on firms that are planning a roll-up strategy. The FTC outlined what they called a non-exhaustive list of six criteria for determining where additional relief may be needed in areas beyond the markets alleged in the complaint. So those six areas are, first, the nature of the transaction. And so what the FTC is looking at is, is this transaction similar to one that the FTC previously investigated and challenged? Second is the level of market concentration. Third is the degree to which the transaction may increase concentration. Fourth is the degree to which one of the parties pre-merger already has market power. Fifth is the party's history of acquisitiveness, that is, are they buying more companies in the same space? And finally, is there evidence of anti-competitive market dynamics, for example, prior history of price fixing or something along those lines? And since the FTC's policy statement came out in October, we have three examples that are really helpful. And what they suggest is, at least at the start, the FTC is not going overly broad on areas, but they are going broader than what has been alleged in the complaints. The first case is DeVita acquiring Utah Health. Those are dialysis centers. The FTC focused on Provo, Utah, but the prior approval area is the entire state. Second is a supermarket acquisition, Price Chopper and Tops, in more or less the upstate New York and Vermont areas. The relevant markets for divestiture are cities, but the prior approval areas extend to full county areas. And finally, there is a generic pharmaceutical merger, ANI and Novidium where the FTC was also looking at broader prior approval areas. So, for example, one of the alleged markets was a four milligram dosage strength, and the FTC included all tablets, not just the four milligrams. So those are examples of where, hey, the FTC is going broader, but so far they're not going you know, extraordinarily broad. So, Craig, how does this analysis and these examples impact the terms of purchase agreements? Assume, for example, that you are a buyer that is willing to make a divestiture to get a deal cleared, and you are willing to take on prior approval requirements, but only in the alleged markets in the complaint 
where you know a broad prior approval requirement is really a deal breaker. What what do you do there? Yeah, so if you start off with a hell or high water efforts covenant, it would require the buyer to do everything necessary to, to get the deal done and before the outside date, uh, including agreeing to a broad prior approval requirement. So the first thing we're likely to see are buyers starting to edit purchase agreements, carving out their obligation to agree to a broad prior approval requirement. They could come up with something that's limited to the product lines and uh, service areas of the of the divested assets, for example. But you know, a, as those carve-outs get worked into agreements, what you're likely to see is, is certainty decreasing for the seller. So the, the seller is no longer getting hell or high water. It's, it's getting something less because the FTC may not agree to take the divestiture without a broad prior approval. So you know, that's one way we might see these agreements get modified. Another way we might see them get modified is that you know, buyers may ask for the right to walk away um, even prior to a second request, if they get a signal that they'll be subject to a broad prior approval requirement, uh, and sellers will naturally want some sort of reverse termination fee for that for that right for the buyers to walk away early, uh, and so you know this is all evolving. It will, it'll take some time to to see how parties adjust its announcement that just came out last month, but it's it's certainly going to have an impact on purchase agreement terms, and uh, it'll be an area we'll be closely monitoring. Well, Craig, we have covered the waterfront, but barely scratched the surface. Everyone out there, thank you for listening. This is an area that we will continue to monitor as we obtain more precedents from the FTC on how it is applying this policy and as merging parties begin to change purchase agreements in response. As always, we encourage deal teams to get antitrust counsel involved early in the process to best guide you through these developments. If you found today's discussion interesting, do not hesitate to reach out to any of us or your usual Decker contacts with any specific questions. You can also subscribe to our news reports, which are a great source of information on recent developments. You can find all of our resources at www.decker.com, including other committed capital podcasts as they become available. Thank you for listening.